Hello and welcome to the podcast for Ray Church of the Nazarene. I'm Ben Beckman, Senior Pastor, and I'm glad that you have tuned in to listen to our services and sermons. We've reopened our sanctuary and would love to have you join us in person at 410 Blake Street in Ray, Colorado for our Sunday morning worship services that begin at 1045, if you feel comfortable to do so. We would also invite you to join us live on Facebook, YouTube, or our website if that's a better fit for you at this time. Please visit our website at raynaz.com and our Facebook page for more information regarding our services. It is my prayer that you experience the presence of God during your time with us, whether in person or online. Again, thank you and welcome to our podcast. This week's message is a kickoff to our new sermon series entitled New Mercies. This four-week series is going to endeavor to explore the difficulties that we all face with change in the Christian life. Uh, This week's message is entitled, What Time Is It? And the text is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. I pray that you are blessed in the hearing of this message. I want to read this morning from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. In your Bibles, if you want to turn there, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. I would invite you to stand as we read God's word together today, if you are able. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace, What does the worker gain from his toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Heavenly Father, would you open our hearts and minds to your word today? Would you help us to hear what you are saying to us? And Father, would you help me today as I endeavor to say what you want to say? Father, we ask these things. In your name, amen. You may be seated. I had slides and internet issues this morning are wonderful, and so I'm sorry I don't have them up for you. I couldn't get them to the computer for whatever reason. So it is what it is. So I appreciate you being patient with me this morning. But today is uh, a new series that we are beginning called New Mercies. In this four-week series, we're going to explore the difficulties of change 
in the Christian life. We're going to endeavor to understand that through procrastination, through sanctification, through the power of cultivating spiritual habits, that we can see the life-giving process of change in our life. And so this morning, as we are kicking this off, um, as we're reading from Ecclesiastes 3, this is a pretty popular passage, and it's usually one that's read at funerals and, and, and those type of, of services. But, but this morning, as, and especially this week as, we, as I was preparing for today, it just seemed to fit more and more. And, um, and so a few things as, as I was thinking about this, um, this question kept coming to mind as I read through this passage. And this question that, that, that I was wrestling with is, how do we know what time it is? How do we know what time it is? We see here through these first eight verses that, that Solomon writes that there's a time to do certain things and a time to do something else. And as we read through this list, that question kept coming back to me, how do we know what time it is? Now, the first, there in verse two, a time to be born and a time to die, I mean, obviously that's, that's out of our control, that has little to do with us. But the rest of these require us to be active participant in it. And so how do we know what time it is? Well, as we read through some of these, we, there later in verse 2 it says a time to plant and a time to up, uproot. I've been around farming and I know we have lots of farmers here. We know when some of those seasons are, right? We know when it's time to do some of these things, when it's time to turn over soil, when it's time to plant new. Some of those things make sense to us. But as we work through some of the rest of this, it's harder to know. Another question I had as I worked through this passage, how do I know what time it is, but where is God in all of this? As you look through these, these different times that Solomon writes here, it's, a lot of these are, are difficult, they're painful, some of them are joyful, some of them are, are full of of just really good things. And so it's easy for us, I think, at least for me, that when things are good, it's easy to see God in those good things. It's easy to, to, to celebrate. It's easy to praise God when things are good. But when things are hard and when things are difficult, then I know at least, if I'm preaching this sermon to anybody this morning, it's me. So if it... If it resonates with you at all, praise the Lord, but these are what I'm wrestling with as I work through this passage this week. So if it's for nobody else, it's for me. But as I was reading through this, these questions came to my mind. Again, how do we know what time it is and where is God in all of this? When things are hard and when they're difficult, it's easy for me to question, to doubt, to wrestle with God, to ask him these things. Where are you? And then the last thing, the last question I had is what matters right now? What matters right now? 
And I guess I ask that because as we navigate so much of what's happening around us today, I found myself struggling with, with where is God in all this? I've, I've struggled with, with what matters at this point. Is this a time to is this a time to mend? Or is it a time to tear? Is it a time to love? I would say yes. But is it a time to hate? Is it a time for war? Or is it a time for peace? And maybe, I don't know what, what it is over these last, especially since Wednesday, that this is just, it's hurt. It's hurt my heart because I see things taking place and people using the name of Jesus as an excuse to do some certain things. And I'll be honest with you, that's not the Jesus I follow. That's not the Jesus I know. So I struggle with that. I struggle with watching these things unfold and wondering where God is in all of this. I want to know. I want to know what time it is. I want to know how I respond as a pastor of a church who's leading people because I have a great responsibility that frankly, I feel incapable of doing some days. I need to know what time it is. As I lead my family, as we have hard conversations, Sorry, I'm getting off script and probably is okay. These first eight verses give us an indication that there is a time and a season for all things. As we read through that list, as we wrestle with these things and we wrestle with these questions, the latter part of this passage reveals that there is a time and a season for all of these things. All of these things are appropriate as God ordains, as God allows, as God leads us. Sorry. So going back to this list, and asking God and wrestling with this question of what time is it? I feel that it's more important now than ever for us to really grow in this gift and this ability of discernment. How many of you know what discernment means? One of you? Okay, two. Discernment, trying to understand what it is that God is doing. And it's 
It's weighing what we understand of who he is, of what we discover he is in scripture, his character, his promises. We weigh that with what we see happening. And this discernment, this idea of knowing what God is up to, learning what he is doing, learning which then informs us in how we should respond. So this time that we find ourselves in, of questioning, of trying to understand, is it time to do this, is it time to do that? This ability to be able to discern who God is, what we know about him, with what we see happening, and being able to respond appropriately. Okay, that sounds good. But then that requires some work for each one of us. It requires us now more than ever to read your Bibles, folks. God's word reveals himself to us. His word is what guides and leads and directs us in our understanding and our theology of who he is. And if we're not students of his word, if it doesn't take a high priority in our lives, if it doesn't form our values, if it doesn't form our responses, then there's something else in the way. Ultimately, all of this is under the lordship of, of Christ, but he... He gives this to us so that we can understand and know who he is. So as we read this passage, these eight verses, and we're asking God, what time is it? As we are trying to grow in our discernment, as we are trying to figure out what our response needs to be, we need to understand and find ourselves in his word. I will add, along with that, it requires us being in fellowship with one another. It requires us asking these same questions with each other, and not from a place of, of ridiculing somebody else's position, but being able to sharpen one another, being able to, to ask these hard and difficult questions, and being able to hear something that maybe we don't agree with. And not writing that person off, but, man, inviting the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, is there something that I need to hear from that? Is there something I've misunderstood? So as we grow in our, in our discernment, it needs to be because we're rooted in his word, and it needs to be because we are in fellowship. I'm going to add again, it needs, we need to be watching what we're inputting into our lives. What are your inputs? What are the things that, that you consume? When I was a youth pastor, we were talking about something similar to this, and I brought a bottle of Coke. And as I was talking about this, I'm shaking this bottle of Coke. And as I get ready to open the cap, I ask the question, as I open this cap, what's going to come out? So I ask you, what would come out 
of that bottle of Coke if I was sitting here shaking it and open that cap? <laughs> A mess. But Coke, right? Coke's going to come out of that bottle. And in much the same way for each one of us, as we have these inputs, these things being inputted into our hearts and our minds, these, these things that we consume, as we navigate these things that are happening around us, what's going to come out as a pressure is put on? What comes out of our mouths? What comes out of our hearts? What comes out of our actions? Folks, we need to be putting in the right things. We need to have the right input. As we move on through this passage, verses 9 through 11, the, this passage kind of begins to, to take a little bit of a different form a little bit. I want to read these verses again for you, verses 9 through 11. What does a worker gain from his toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. What stands out to you in those several verses? What is God saying about himself? What is God saying to us today as we just thought about what time is it? What is God now saying to us? On the first read, you, as you look at verse 9, it sounds kind of dismal. What does a worker gain from his toil? And as you read the first part of, of what Solomon writes, it's pretty dismal. It's pretty hopeless. Everything is meaningless. But these next several verses speak to a great hope. That things aren't as meaningless as sometimes we feel that they are. Our ability to find satisfaction in what we do depends an awful lot on our attitude as we are doing them. So as we think about the work that God has asked us to do, the way that he has invited us to partner with him in what he's doing, the way that we are invited to walk in step with the Spirit, how do we view our work in fact, I, I'll be honest, I kind of struggle with the word toil. Toil, to me, sounds like it's meaningless. But when we are looking at it through the lens of what God has intended, that he invites us to partner with him, to work with him, that he has a purpose and a plan in it, then, all of a sudden, it has a, a bit of hope to that. Verse 11 talks about the first eight verses. It talks about how he makes all of those things that are hard and difficult beautiful in the right time. When we are experiencing the pain and the heartbreak, he calls it beautiful in its time. These things that we experience aren't just because we have some sadistic, evil, I don't know, it, it, we need to change our view of God if that's how we view what we go through sometimes when things are hard and difficult. It's not because he doesn't like us. 
It's because he loves us. And he calls those things beautiful in those times, in the right time. So it depends, the work that we're doing depends on our attitude. And it's easy for us to be dissatisfied if we lose the sense of purpose of what God is doing and what God has intended in our work. We can enjoy this work if we remember that God has given us this work to do. He's intended it for you. He's purposed it. He sees you and he says, I need you to do this. I want you to do this. It helps us too when we realize that there's fruit in what we do. And we may not see that fruit at this time. We may not see it maybe ever. In heaven, we will. But we realize that there's a purpose to it, that there's fruit that comes from it. And that fruit is not for our benefit, but it's for his. And so this whole process is a changing of our heart and attitude regarding this work, that it's more focused on him and not me. The third way that we see our heart and attitude change about work is when we see it as a way that we can serve God. And that needs to be our motivation in what we do. And it's easy to have the wrong motivations and doing the right things. I found myself there. So our ability to find satisfaction in our work depends on our attitude. Verses 11 through 14. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything... God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Solomon argued that God has an appointed time for everything. Even for injustice, even for oppression. And all this is part of the eternal, the immutable, the inscrutable providence of God which renders a person's toil profitless. In other words, God sees what we don't. He sees what we don't. He is sovereign and he is good. And we see a snapshot of what's happening in a much bigger picture. And it's hard for us in our narrow view to be able to see beyond that. And it's in that narrow view that we begin to question and wonder, what time is it? Where are you? And does this even matter? I love, I love the part of the verse here that says that we can enjoy this work, because, and it's a gift of God. What a blessing that is, to know that we aren't working just some endlessly and pointlessly purpose that he has something for us 
on purpose. It was intentional. And he invites us into it. He partners with us. He partners with us. I can have a pretty bad attitude sometimes. And I can have a pretty negative response. But he partners with me. He desires to work through me. And so what's my response to that going to be? As Solomon writes here, our existence in this world is a mixture of both joy and sorrow, harmony and conflict, life and death. Each has its own proper moment, and we as creatures of time must conform to these limitations, that we are built into this cycle of life and death. And I love where, where, where he writes, God has set eternity in the human heart. He set eternity in the human heart. A few weeks ago, I talked a little bit about this, but I want to remind you of it again today. This ain't all there is. Can I get an amen for that? This isn't all there is. The desire of the Father for us to join him motivates him in how he communicates with us. I want to be in his presence. And at my age, I don't think about heaven a lot. I just don't. And that maybe isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I think that we do need to think about that maybe a little more often. Because he set it there for a purpose. He set eternity in each of our hearts. That eternity is a longing for more than what we already know and what we already see and what we've already experienced. That eternity is in his presence, is with him. His motivation from the beginning was for that, for us to be with him and him to be with us. This morning, I, I kind of felt like I'm all over the place and I see many of you writing notes and I hope, <laughs> I hope this made sense because I didn't follow much of what I had here this morning. Because I think sometimes, too, we need to really wrestle with these questions from a point of, of our humanness, but endeavor to seek God's presence in it, his Holy Spirit in it, to bring us back to, to what's truth, the truth of who he is the truth of what his purposes are. And then the decision then is left back to us. What's our response going to be? What do we do moving forward?
with the events of, of this last week, as I wrestled with this passage and I wrestled with these questions, I'm convinced one of the first things that I need to do is my first response needs to be prayer. And sometimes that sounds very trite. But it needs to be, it needs to be sincere. Here's my invitation for you today and this week. Would you pray with me over this next week? Fast as you can and whatever that may look like for you. Fast a meal. Fast maybe spending time on Facebook this week. Fast whatever it may be that you need to do. That occupies time, that pulls your attention away, that is an input into your life that maybe doesn't need to be there. Whatever that may be for you today, would you fast with me this week? And would you pray? Would you pray for our country? Would you pray for our leaders? Would you pray for our churches? Would you pray for our communities? As a body of believers, as we do these things together, prayer is not so much going to God with our wish list, but prayer needs to be something where it changes our heart to line more up with his. So would you pray with me this week? Would you fast with me? I want to invite our praise team to come back up, and I want to pray for you today, this morning as we leave. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We're just so thankful, God, for who you are. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your presence. We're thankful for your promises. We're thankful for Jesus. Father, today, would you speak to each one of our hearts in the way that we need to be spoken to today? I pray, Father, that you would search our hearts. And that our response would be to pray. Pray. 